Welcome to episode 58 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who were on this journey and the professionals who serve them. It's my pleasure to welcome Wendy Visser to the podcast. Wendy is an itinerant teacher of the deaf and hard of hearing in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Wendy has her master's in education, a postgraduate certificate in auditory verbal studies, and is an auditory skills therapist. In addition to being a content creator at the 3C Digital Media Network, she is also a course consultant for Sound Intuition. With more than 25 years of teaching experience, Wendy has been a classroom teacher for grades 6 through 10, developed and taught geography and history for high school ESL students, and she's also been an itinerant resource teacher with a focus on autism spectrum disorder and also in her current role. Wendy has presented internationally and works with private clients all over the world in both French and English, including auditory skills training for newly implanted adults and children. When she's not teaching, Wendy loves to travel with her husband, figure skate, and scrapbook. So, it is my pleasure to welcome my friend and colleague, Wendy Visser, to the podcast. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Well, Wendy, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for doing this. And uh, can you introduce yourself and introduce your background? Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. This is this is great. Um, it's interesting. I started my wanting to be a teacher of the deaf well uh, when I, when I was age seven. Oh, wow. I actually, yeah, I went to a school in St. Catharines, Ontario, which is just close to Niagara Falls, about 15 minutes away. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I didn't realize that there was money being funded from the provincial government to our elementary school that was in my neighborhood. And the money was there to help students in the Niagara region that were deaf come to our school, as opposed to going up to uh, EC Jury, which is the school for the deaf north of Toronto. Mm -hmm. And that was a residential school. So I, in my classroom, of course, ASL was not common at that point. We were still signed English. And so I always had a teacher, my own teacher in front of the class. And then I also had a teacher who was signing everything. And our classes were half and half, uh, kids that were hearing, kids that were deaf. And um, some of my best friends were deaf growing up. So I really got the culture side of things. 
Right. And when um and and the good and the bad. It was kind of interesting because sure. I certainly had friends that the parents signed everything, included them, wanted to be part of them. And then I had another friend that <laughs> I'd call dad and he'd say, yep, she'll be there tomorrow. And I think when she landed at my doorstep, that might have been the first time she realized that that's where she was going. So <laughs> very different scenarios certainly gave me an interesting um, lens to come into uh, into the job. And when I first became a, a teacher in 97, I was, my, my background was geography and English, and there really wasn't an opportunity to do teacher of the deaf training. The only one we had at the time was for me, I'd moved to Ottawa by this point. And I went back to, the only place I could take it was at York, which is in Toronto. Right. I'd have to take a year off and it was, a, it's still a free program, which is great. But I didn't guarantee myself a job after taking a year off and moving again. So mm -hmm. at the time, it just didn't work. And fast forward to 2005, I had a student in my class who was deaf. And I ended up, he was um, spoken language. Mm -hmm. So I learned about an FM system really quick, what they were today's world, as opposed to being plugged into the table and <laughs> right, <laughs> all the right. different things that we had. Um, and at that point, I was asked if I wanted to become a teacher of the deaf. And there was a program online through Western. Good. So yes. I got married. I have, was doing my master's. I was doing my teacher of the deaf program online. And my mom had been diagnosed with cancer that year. And then my husband said to me, do you want to move? <laughs> <laughs> sure. After so, yeah. I strangle you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So needless to say, we moved, um, yeah. and thankfully it was only a couple streets over, and so that <laughs> put me still. Still, um, a move is a move, right? Exactly. So suddenly, by December of two thousand and five, I'm now in the position. Um, they needed somebody, and that's where I've been pretty much ever since. Um, love it. And what's interesting is in uh, two thousand eleven. Uh, Ottawa U offered a special program, and it was an auditory studies graduate pro a diploma. Right. And I'm very lucky to have the opportunity to work with uh, Judy Simser, mm -hmm. uh, Tina Olmsted, yeah. and Elizabeth Fitz Fitzpatrick. Right. And those were our right. teachers. So yeah. um, <laughs> incredible. I A little intimidating, I would think. <laughs> I certainly was. Um, the first auditory acoustics class that I took, I could not understand why I was getting into this profession. <laughs> <laughs> Far above any of my understanding, but that's okay. I right. now can understand it. Um, and then I had 40 hours of mentoring from Tina where I had to actually go into kids' homes and work because for the, oh, wow. um, it, I didn't want the LS, LS uh, cert. A mm -hmm. uh, ABT cert, AV ed right. cert. That's it. I wanted the other one. Gotcha. So go going into kids' homes. Um, so I've had all that experience. I was not successful uh, in the exam, but I figure with all of the experience that I now have, uh, and it was very US based at the time. So mm -hmm. it's certainly mm -hmm. here. Um, I'm 
have amazing opportunities that have come in and about after this. So really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. So then in, uh, I guess it was 2012, I was contacted by Warren Estabrooks to write a chapter in his book, The Auditory Verbal, um, the first book that he did with uh, for young children and with hearing loss, the, the big, big one. Yes. Mm-hmm. And sort of in and around the same time, I was taking a class with uh, Helen Morrison online, mm-hmm. furthering my knowledge about acoustics, which was getting easier. <laughs> right. And there was a parent who I contacted because just the way she was speaking, I, I felt something was there that didn't make sense. So I contacted her online and found out she was in Pakistan. And she was looking out for her daughter and needed some help. And, you know, we're back in 2012. So that's, you know, right. significantly a long time ago, well before what we know is Zoom and anything else. Sure. And she asked me if I would work with her daughter. And so we started online sessions and, you know, <laughs> was certainly not HIPAA compliant at that point, but sure. <laughs> it didn't really exist at that point. Right. Um, so that's sort of started my online uh, work. And since then, I've been um, recommended by uh, numerous groups and especially it's ADE FAVE, which is the Association of Families of Auditory Verbalists, as they call it, um, in France. And because mm-hmm. I'm bilingual, right. they have certainly um recommended me for a number of clients that can't find uh an auditory verbal coach uh mm-hmm. within anywhere in France or anywhere around and there's only a few therapists in uh in France as it is so i'm now got clients all over the world and wow. It, it's it's fascinating. It really is to learn their their culture, um, mm-hmm. to see our needs of where we need to improve. <laughs> sure. So so let's talk about that. What you know with your work that you're doing internationally. What what do we need to improve? What are you learning about these different countries? Mapping. Mapping. <laughs> yes. Mapping is probably the biggest one. Mm-hmm. I've just recently had a, a young lady who um, has had her cochlear implants for three years and has never had an audiogram. Wow. And when I got the audiogram just recently, we finally made it happen. And she has a ski, so, ski slope loss. <laughs> I would wow. be recommending to have her get hearing aids, but um, she right. had. <laughs> so we have some urgent pleas in to have another uh mapper and right audiologist um mapper to do things it's uh <laughs> it it's astonishing with the the number of the technology that we have and the people that don't understand and aren't able to test kids and that's the other one is i'm right. getting that often as well oh well we can't test your son why because he's a kid oh <laughs> and in the words of Jane Medell, <laughs> then there's a problem with the audiologist. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, you you are certainly more versed in in international work than I am. Um, 
but yeah, that's it's always the little bit I have done. It just seems to be the the different standards in each country in terms of how people are trained and you know um do they even have a profession called audiology is it something else is it combined with speech language pathology or otolaryngology you know is it the physician the physician who's doing the audiology work and testing you know it's it's such a wide range of standards and how people are trained and and all those things it, it's it's uh it, it's a it's a huge headache. It's a big big challenge, yeah. uh, depending on the country you're working in. Yeah, and I, I guess I I keep going back to if the countries are if if the companies are putting their money into the countries to have right. the kids implanted, then they also should be really looking at having people that are you know savvy in the mapping, <laughs> the audiologist side of things also going into those countries that's um, right there's so many i have families that travel uh, so far um from you know africa to france to germany just to have a mapping done and you know you get home and you go oh it should have done this <laughs> right exactly um yeah it's uh it's it's quite a challenge i i remember it's, it's probably been about uh, 10, 12 years now, but uh, when I first came to uh, University of Akron um, from Utah State, um, I was contacted sort of out of the blue uh, from a, fa a family in France. And they had, uh, it was a bilingual mother who spoke English and French. And they had been, uh, they'd gotten an implant uh, or implants uh, with their children for their daughter. And uh, and they couldn't find anyone in France. And France, I, I just, I'm making a big assumption, is probably still very deaf culture, ASL or French sign language focused. Um, and she was really struggling, I mean, trying to find services. And, I, and so we, we started doing some telepractice and uh, and she was having to go. I think back to, I think they were implanted, the little girl was implanted in England, in the UK. And so she was having to travel uh, through the tunnel <laughs> to uh, get services, to get the mapping services, and then come back home. And then, you know, so it was it was quite a challenge for these families and, and that one family then of just getting, you know, the basic services and, and just the, also the negativity that she would get. Uh, Based on you know, the choice she made to get cochlear implants for for her daughter, and and choosing that listening and spoken language approach, and then having to you know, find a way back to England to get the mapping and back and forth and constant. I mean, it was just a mess, and uh, it really but, is. <laughs> but but she, you know, she was determined. You know, as parents uh, have to be sometimes, and. Uh, she was determined that she was going to make it work, and her daughter started making some progress. And then, I think she ended up uh, we were able to d find someone there in France that was being trained or in the process. And and then also with uh, AV UK and people like that, uh, those programs were able to sort of transition after a, a couple, a few months actually. And uh, and so I assume everything's gone well, but uh, but at the time it was a it was a struggle, and even. <clears throat> 
the least of my problem was trying to figure out the time zones and time differences and trying to schedule yeah. things. That was yes. uh, sometimes a challenge uh, uh, between uh, Akron, Ohio, and 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 France, but uh, we made it work, and it 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 worked for a while, and and uh, and then hopefully she's gone on to do very good good things, have good outcomes with her daughter. But uh, I was just amazed at um, the negativity. Yes. That this mother was facing, you know, from that cultural perspective, but also the challenge of just getting basic services um, yes. because of the technology. And it's still that way. It's it, it's basically what it, and it's changing a little bit. And thanks to this this one group in, in France. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's still, oh, we'll implant you and now we'll teach you sign language. And. You know, it's kind of this backwards approach, and then there's no therapy for them to understand that they can l- learn to listen and speak. And right. I'm I'm seeing it in a number of different ways. They send, uh, you know, somebody in to do an evaluation of a child who they've never met before, and within an hour, they have a seven-page report saying that, you know, this kid isn't doing very well. And this one in particular hadn't even been implanted for a year yet. Right. Well, <laughs> perhaps we need to look at the rest of the the whole child, the whole situation. We made major gains and changes, and you know, I have one audiologist that is I I need to get to know him a little bit more. But he recently mm-hmm. took a number of my suggestions, and this little one is listening so much better. So excellent. You know, we need to make those those breakthroughs and. I know with um, with Karen McIver Lux, we actually recently did uh, training for seven uh, audiologists. Sorry, seven speech language pathologists, mm-hmm. and we did that, and they were all online, and we we did it in France. And nice. so Karen and I developed the program, and I delivered it all um, in French, mm-hmm. and um, we just finished our third. Uh, mentoring session we're now done level one <laughs> right, right it's been a long year and a process but it was very very well done um and we saw the change and we saw the the they've really implemented those changes into their That's practices good. and it's it's been fascinating that way so yeah and i know one of the other things that we've done is um during well, just before COVID, we started with auditory skills training, right. which is also um, a program that uh, Karen has been working on. And I actually think you helped her at the very beginning with some of this. I think, yeah, I think I recall <laughs> why, way back, you know, a little way yeah. back, we talked about, I remember talking to her about some stuff. Yeah. And uh, since then, we've had two uh, levels done. And before uh, Oticon closed their cochlear implant um, division, Oticon was actually paying for adults to have three sessions with me. Oh wow! Um, once they were implanted here in Ottawa at the hospital, mm-hmm. and then of course that um, fell through. And the benefit, though, is that those audiologists still recommend me when uh, they have another adult that's having some challenges. So I'm working with those adults as well. And so somewhere in the middle, I work. <laughs> Full time as a teacher of the deaf. 
It's yeah, I understand. It's like you have your day job and then you come home and then your night job starts. <laughs> well, it's actually morning job because oh. of the time change. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. So I work at 7 a.m., um, wow. sometimes 6.30, but uh, usually 7. And then I'm done by 8 and then off I go to work. Wow. That's Which incredible. works wonderfully. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's I, one o'clock their time, so it's a good time just to have a chat and sure, you know, just before a nap or whatever else. So it works out well. Yeah, so that's great. It's, that's great. My my goal is to be able to help as as many of those parents as I can because it just uh, not having any support and not understanding what is required to work with their children, and it seems I think that's one of the things that worries me as well is that these doctors are doing this and doing the implants and everything else and they're not getting enough education ahead of time to be told what is needed afterwards it right. sounds like it's the cure whoa let's do it and then the thousands and thousands of dollars that they still have to spend and mm -hmm. it's not covered like you and i here right um right. it's a hundred and twenty thousand dollars I don't, and it depends. I, I'm not sure what currency at that point, but still that rough amount per ear for these parents to do the service. Wow. That's, that's really crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, one of the things that I've always uh, sort of looked at, um, you know, s s and, and I love surgeons. I think they do it. Obviously we, we can't do our job without really great surgeons to to do the implants. Uh, at the same time, I think what I've always seen with with many of them, not all, but with many of them, is that they they evaluate the success of their program by the number of surgeries they do, yeah, rather than the outcomes that they're seeing with the children. You know, exactly, and. and, and, and they don't have any levels of standard to even know that that works. Right. So you take one of these third world countries that do a whole bunch of surgeries, but there's no baseline to know if it works or not. There's not even a way to check that. Right. There's no continuum of service after. I, I, I mean, it may be somewhat some services yeah. afterwards, but but it's not the full continuum that really needs to be in place to to really achieve the outcomes that could be achieved. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the problem with adults. It's so that's many right don't too. wear them anymore because they, <laughs> I don't like this sound, take it off and continue on. And that, and, and unfortunately with the, with the adults that unfortunately that's, that's kind of universal. I mean, I it still is. see that here in the States, uh, and, you know, the adults, I mean, the assumption is the adults don't really need that oral rehabilitation with <laughs> the new technology they just got put in their heads. <laughs> oh, they'll be fine. Just give them some books on tape and let them listen to that. And, you know, they'll be fine. You know, the, you know, and it's and they're not they're not they're they not. struggle. It's 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 a challenge. And. They they get lost in all the mapping and then the different programs and then you know, what to, which program for which environment and how do I do this and how do I hook up this cord to the, for the remote mic and all this other stuff. I mean, you know, it's a whole new world in terms it of is. technology, you know, 
And it's, you know, they're going from having these hearing aids, which, you know, yes, you have an app that can control the hearing aid and they can kind of get that. And, but it's a little more straightforward than with cochlear implants. And it's a, it's a challenge and it's a change that they need help navigating. Exactly. And I think the biggest thing that I'm now finding, and we've never really tapped on this, is the grief that these clients are feeling. Because not only now they've had their cochlear implants implanted, and even though, yes, some preserve a little bit of hearing, but they don't for the most part, they're now completely deaf. Right. And they're dealing now with being completely deaf in an environment where they used to have a little bit. Right. And they're horrified and they're scared and uh, the trauma that they're now going through and nobody's there to help them. I I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that is a, a big un, untapped or uh, uh, unrecognized area. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I agree with you. They, they go from having some hearing with the hearing aids and being comfortable uh, comfortable up to a point, knowing that there's a little bit of hearing they have, to not having any if they take the implants off. Yeah. And then having that fear, oh, this might not work. And then if they're not getting the mapping, they can't understand how to use the programs and all of the equipment and all the other things, and the Bluetooth and all these things, then they start to spiral. You know, they start to lose interest. They, you know, it's too hard. It's not going to work for me, you know, and it's not maybe the equipment or the technology is not working. It's just they've never learned how to use it and no one's shown them and worked with them on how to use it. And then, and they're even worse. Many of them feel like they're even worse off than before they got, you know, the implants. And I wish they had their hearing aids back. I've had that said to me on numerous occasions with the adults I've worked with, uh, I wish I'd never done this, you know, that kind of thing. Very same. And it's, you know, you go from a top level job to them quitting or, Mm -hmm. you know, taking a menial job that would just be able to get them by because they can't handle the, the overwhelming sounds and the difference changes. And, you know, that Mm -hmm. auditory brain change is happening, but not at the speed it needs to. So they don't, get it they don't have that ability to feel success right. and realize that there can be you know a certain you know they they can go on to succeed absolutely right but it it changes their personalities and it's it it's so it's devastating to watch it is it is it is and i i, I think we definitely need to do more to help the adults and have a more yeah. complete program of rehabilitation um, I've, I, I've heard along the way, different points that there were, you know, the, the implant companies were working on, you know, new programs for adults and new materials and actual rehabilitation, but I've, I've not really seen much years ago. Cochlear had the notebook. Yes. <laughs> it was an oral rehabilitation notebook that everyone kind of refers to, um, and I have a copy of that, and I still go back and use some of those activities, you know, in there to help uh, adults. But I've not seen anything as comprehensive that's come no. out from the company since then. Medell has a few. Yeah, they, they yeah. do have a few. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's <laughs> it can be often very U.S. based, which is fine, but not for the rest of the world. Right. Um, 
And I know that's, is it Kika? C-I-I-C-A dot org? They are attempting to make uh, some waves and certainly have recently come up with a standard of programming and standard of different uh, elements throughout that. Right. But I mean, it's a small group. (laughs) We need it bigger. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And we need more people to be able to understand the necessity. I, I Think, isn't it something like 75% of all CIs are given to adults and the rest are just the children? Yeah, I think I think the market is to adults. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the pediatric market is much smaller. And we, and we never hear of the adults. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, certainly we need to we need to take that into perspective. And 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 that you know really leads into what um some of my work with the theory of mind. Um, oh, you're on mute, I think. Let's talk about, I'm sorry about that. Uh, let's talk okay. about your the theory of mind and the, and the work you've been doing there. So back in, um, again, before COVID, in 2019, I did a presentation in uh, at AGBAL in Spain at their first international conference. Yes. <laughs> first mm-hmm. and last at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> we were doing so well. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> And uh, it's always been a, an interest of mine because also while being teacher of the deaf, I was put into uh, a leadership role of autism as well. Yes. And I was starting to see, <laughs> despite what people were telling me, I, w- I was seeing the similarities between deafness and autism. And I kept saying, well, a lot of the things I've learned to do in autism, I can certainly use with kids who have hearing loss. Right. And I wanted to know a little bit more why, why this is. And so, of course, we know that theory of mind is really, you know, putting yourself into somebody else's shoes and being able to understand from another point of view how right. you are feeling. And that's the basics. Um, but when you get to the idea of a child with hearing, well, a child with autism, that is part of their actual diagnosis. It's right. a brain inability, I suppose, to understand the theory of mind. It can be taught, mm-hmm. but it's very difficult. Right. But for a child who is deaf, they also have major issues with a uh, theory of mind because of lack of exposure to language. Right. Right. And Knowing that, you know, they miss all of that um, incidental learning that we've got. You know, 90% of all things that we learn is through incidental learning. Right. And they're missing all of that information. And even going further, thinking of these things of what do we suggest for our kids at home? Turn off the TV, turn off the, you know, the appliances, turn off all these things, do our therapy and quiet one-on-one, all those great things. But as a typical child running around the house, we might have the news on and they're talking about the war. They're talking about Mm. major issues that are going on, you know, and even if they don't understand it, we all know as hearing adults, we heard bits and pieces. We may not have understood what the world was going through, but we've heard it. Right. And so often these kids are in therapy for so much of their lives 
-hmm. when that language is being built, they miss that exposure to other things right where you know <laughs> we might get dragged to whatever you know thing that our parents are going to mm -hmm. they might not because the parents are at home doing you know especially with more medically complex children they're going to so many appointments and all those you know extra needs that they have right so when we're we're thinking about theory of mind we need to directly teach um all of the necessity and that language that they need to help them. And I mean, their social interaction skills is, is essential. And what we've sort of found in the research is that most kids are learning language up until, you know, going into school, but when they get to school, they're learning to do things with that language. Mm -hmm. Kids that are, have hearing loss and go into school, have learned the language, but still need to learn more language because often they've been, you know, um, whether it was diagnosed late or they got their cochlear implants when they were a one or two, all of that information they've missed. So they're still learning vocabulary. So now that extra challenge when they get into school is that they're understanding the vocabulary and what to do. And right. One thing that I work on with kids now, and it's it's really changed my practice in the last little while, is that like you put down a, a, a game of associations. I can guarantee every kid knows that the star goes with the moon or the dog goes mm -hmm. with the bone, but they don't know the name of those items. Yeah. So they haven't heard them. They haven't been taught. So when those social language cues come out, they come across as not knowing enough. Mm -hmm. And they certainly can, I mean, through their peers, which, you know, kids are cruel, <laughs> they certainly can True. be, yes. um, those are the kids that are going to be picked on. And those right. are the kids that are going to find that isolation. And <laughs> even with, you know, the adults, the same thing, they've gone through that isolation all their lives and then bang, now right. they don't even have any hearing. So they're dealing with right. that as well. Um, so we need to, you know help them develop their scientific and their critical thinking right from the get-go. Like we can't be doing this <laughs> once they sort of hit middle school where that language is, is more difficult. And it, I mean, as I said at the beginning, that basic bit of being in somebody else's shoes, it also includes things like humor and, and bluffing and sarcasm. Um, all our figurative language, our metaphors, yes. Wordplay, mm -hmm. jokes, all of those yeah. things that we need to teach them because they haven't overheard it. That's right. Mm -hmm. And and that's it's certainly um, an untapped resource because our, our area of study, I suppose. Because what do we do as teachers of the deaf? We bombard them with you know access and teaching from like. K to three, K to four, mm -hmm. but then you're only learning how to read up to grade three-ish. And then in grade right. four, now you're changing again. You're reading to learn. Right. They don't have that vocabulary and they don't right. have that extra stuff that they need to move forward. And we need to start 
a lot earlier because then all of our services start to drop off and people are like, oh, they don't need as much support in high school. Yeah, actually, they do. They do. Right. Right. And, and it, I've, it I've always less. seen the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could be less service, but it needs to be more direct service. Exactly. More focused, maybe yeah. more you know, specific kinds of things. Yeah. I, I've had a, a colleague for a number of years who who has always kind of come back to um, one of his biggest uh, concerns uh, with children with hearing loss is that that sense of isolation and and how that plays out in so many ways when um when they're in a in a educational setting and and um not only not being able to communicate but not being able to overhear and and all the things you just uh, mentioned and how it it becomes this sort of downward cyclical sort of things that happen they they, they can't overhear they can't they have more isolation maybe some bullying in place and then more isolation and they're not, you know, and so the world just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And it ends up being maybe one friend and maybe their family um, or a sibling and their, you know, who, you know, a member of the family. Um, and so it, it, uh, it has such a um, cascading effect on, on their lives, their, their view of the world, their view of themselves of what they're able to do and can be uh as they go over get older and it's uh and and uh i i kind of understand where he's coming from when he says these are my concerns you know and and you're seeing that and i've i've seen that too with a lot of the children that i've worked with especially as they get into those teenage years and when and and I think that's always been uh, another area for me as as a speech language pathologist. I think we do a lot of training and a lot of emphasis on working with young children, and then it's like these kids uh, through teenage years and young adult years need nothing, and then we don't really work with them again until they get older. <laughs> and exactly. So we, get, we get trained to work with young children and then old people. <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> and, and then everything in between, they kind of, they're going to be okay. And so it's, it's so true. It's, uh, and it's, it's kind of, when we talk about, you know, we really need to train our, 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 our professionals to work across the lifespan. It really isn't across the lifespan it's it's no. a big emphasis on the younger children regardless of diagnosis and then again later in life when they have a stroke you know that that's sort of the focus and it needs we need to really make sure it's really truly across the lifespan but for these children with kids with hearing loss you know those kids uh, with that figurative language um it's it's that next level of language learning that yeah. we are not tapping into as effectively as we could. Exactly. And that doesn't even count for the most of my students now that are actually coming in from other countries. Oh, my. Late diagnosed. So they're coming in as refugees, diagnosed when they're like 14, come into high school and they may or may not have English as their first, even as a language. And right. some actually have come in implanted with no language at all. Right. Um, 
some of our, our kids from Syria are coming in, been implanted when they were, <clears throat> let's say, four or five. But if they're a girl, they weren't allowed to go to school past like grade one. And then they've come to us in grade seven and they still have no language and they have this technology in their head, but it's not really working because nobody's really mapped it, followed up with it. So they don't have English or Syrian. Um, and those are the yeah. kids that are really <clears throat> making me worry at this point because we don't have the tools. Right. right. And the trauma that these individuals have experienced coming into our world that seems, you know, all happy. Right. Not necessarily, but <laughs> you I happy mean, Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> like it's that difference of, okay, well, now what? What's the best use? And will we ever catch them up to a point where they can even go into this theory of mind and learn those higher level language skills that they need to function as functioning adults in Canada? Even if we were to figure out how to teach them in their own language in Arabic right. or anything else. Absolutely. But sure. we don't have necessarily the tools and, you know, we've got a few Arabic speaking people, but that can help us right. out from time to time. Right. Whether it be a, you know, a li liaison officer or whatever else, but they're not, you know, with us as, as teachers of the desk necessarily. We, we mm -hmm. thankfully do have one on our, um, a teacher on our team that does speak Arabic, but, um, right. <laughs> she can't be with us. <laughs> Right. She has her own caseload. <laughs> right, right. And I'm sure it's, you know her caseload is always full. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because it's <laughs> more and more kids come, more and more families come. Yeah. Um, well, Wendy's, I, we could talk all day. I, I love talking with you, and and uh, you have such uh, a wealth of knowledge and experience with so many different uh, populations in different areas. What would you recommend to a a new graduate uh, or teacher of the deaf or maybe a, a speech language pathologist who is interested in working in this area of listening to spoken language what would you recommend that they they do definitely improve their ability to understand acoustics and the audiogram yeah that i'm finding that they're coming out of uh, teachers of the deaf call like their the program that they don't have that or they've had one course <laughs> right and you know they need to be able to understand that more to be able to understand the frequencies and where these sounds fall and why right and and know that it's not going to be overnight it's a years of learning <laughs> that's right mm -hmm. um and if they want to do more i reach out find out what programs are being offered and we know that there are so many different uh companies different groups mm -hmm. that are offering free courses or right. even just mm -hmm. online conferences to take that and 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 learn what they can and and take that opportunity to do so right and then reach out to somebody that you may have met that you know um and ask them to you know it doesn't have to be an of official mentorship it just could you help me out? Could you suggest where I should go from there? Um, I think all of us are, you know, slowly but surely, there's a whole group of us that are approaching retirement age. What? Um, <laughs> hey, you talking about me? Huh? No, I'm talking I about understand. me, actually. I understand. I understand. 
And although yes. I'll retire from teaching, I certainly want to continue with you know my private work because I, it's sure. on my schedule um, and have that ability to do more. But I, I really think that there is such a group of us as we go that there doesn't seem as many coming in. And yeah, I, I mean, agree. As, as we see all over Facebook and whatever, there are so many needs for teachers of the deaf all over North America and, right. and the world, but we need to get more people into this amazing field and, and see the, the rewards, just that smile from a kid that you saw that they got it. And right. Right. I think that's so many of us share our time with others. We just even to need to do it more before some of us move out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I understand. Yeah, I, I think uh, for for me, I have uh, more years behind me than I have ahead of me. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I agree. I, I, you know, I think um, I don't think I'll ever stop doing something in the field. You know, something exactly. related. Uh, uh, so. Whether official retirement comes or not, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, well, how can uh, a listener who hears this could reach out to you and maybe you'll learn more about what you're doing or, or just be in touch with you? Um, I can give you my email address. Is that? Sure. Whatever you feel comfortable giving out to the yeah. millions so, of listeners that I have. So it's Wendy Dawn, W-E-N-D-Y-D-A-W-N at Rogers.com. That's probably the best way to reach out. I do have a Facebook page as well, When Dance's Resources. Mm -hmm. um, so When Dance, W-E-N-D-A-N-C-E apostrophe S, Resources. I have a page there that I just often share things that you know I see online. It's not mine. I just pass it on. Mm -hmm. um, and that would be another way to get a hold of me for sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I've done a couple of online um sessions for uh 3c digital yes and you can certainly uh, get my information there or uh take one of the classes that are webinars that i've recorded awesome well wendy thank you for being on the podcast and good luck with everything that you're doing thank you so much todd it was a pleasure being here i want to thank wendy once again for joining me on the podcast she has some great material content, some webinars uh, that she's developed for 3C. So go to our website and check out what she has to offer. She also has on Facebook. So Wind Dances Resources TPT. So look her up on Facebook and you can take advantage of some other materials that she might have. And with that... Thank you again for listening. Please, uh, if you don't mind, leave us a great five-star review. That always helps us to attract new listeners and new subscribers. And until next time, in two weeks, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.